Welcome to the IQ Meets EQ podcast. I'm Jackie Broman, Principal Solicitor at TBA Law and CEO of Legally Wise Women. And I'm here with Ush Danik, former corporate lawyer, then head of HR, and now an emotional intelligence coach. Good morning, Ush. Morning, Jackie. How are you? Good. I can't seem to get my mouth to work properly this morning. It has the cold weather really hit you now? Um, do you know what? Yes and no. We've got a, a fire in the house. So we've just been lighting the fire every day. So actually last night was too hot. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like you can't, it's hard to regulate a fire and um, temperature. <laughs> yeah. Our old house was just wood heating as well. And you're right. Sometimes it would be 30 degrees in the house. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for it to kick in this morning as in the cold because, yeah. uh, yeah, it was a bit hot yesterday. Yeah. I usually go for a walk with the dogs before we record. So, you know, that's 5, 5.30 in the morning. And oh this my morning, it's been the first morning where the fog has been so thick that my head torch was barely worth it because I couldn't... What? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I can just imagine you in your head torch. <laughs> <laughs> I have a beanie on as well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that, that, that reminds me of... um. I did the Oxfam trail walk about three years ago. Oh, did you? The 100 kilometres? Yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't make it to my 100. Oh, I didn't make it to 100. My two of the teammates did. and Good. I think I got to like 70 something before oh, I, wow. I think I ran out of oxygen literally pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in that training at night, we have to wear those um, bloody headlights. Yeah. 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 My husband's done that Oxfam thing twice. He's done the Melbourne one and the Sydney one. Um, really? Ran it, of course. Wow. Oh my God. Mm. One, they were really prepared and the other they weren't. So it, it was a good learning exercise. Yeah. Look, we did ours. It was just May weekend or something or no, April Easter weekend, a couple of drinks were registered without oh. thinking. And then by the morning we had like 600 bucks as donations and we couldn't can it. Oh <laughs> so, no. <laughs> so we ended up doing it with very, very little training. Yeah. Oh, that really surprises me. <laughs> <About you. laughs> yeah. There, there you go. <laughs> wow. So how's it working at the moment with people doing things online versus offline? What are you finding? Yeah, look, interesting. Funny enough, I've actually got my first virtual keynote tomorrow night. So I've got a bit of a bloody practice run today because, you know, me and technology is not, not the best oh. at the best of time. So I've got to catch up this morning. It's for actually down your end for a life saving Victoria. Oh, okay, great. Um, so that's tomorrow night. So I've got a trial. So I was thinking about it last night going, you know, how do you keep up that energy of a keynote yeah. online for an hour? It's a long time. Yeah. But and, they're not all going to be in oh, a room, are they? So they're all coming into Zoom as well. Yeah, they are. But you know, when you can't, like you can't see anyone Yeah, because my screen's going to have my presentation. So yeah. Yeah. And then I'll be sitting, not standing, which I think affects my energy as well. So mm-hmm. I think certain things it's... Yeah. It's working for some and not for others, isn't it? Yeah. And then I've had a couple of coaching sessions that have been online, one-on-one, and they've been absolutely fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm finding the same things. Like also, because I'm regionally based, I'd usually have to drive an hour to get to an event. Um, so mm. I'm so glad I don't have to do that now. And I've done a couple of events online. Well, Mel McCarthy, who was one of our guests, she runs mm. um, Leading for Success and she does a fortnightly hour-long meetup. And it's a free meetup and she has a guest speaker for half an hour and then mingling. 
So that's converted really well onto Zoom. Her guest mm. speakers, um, like you do, I suppose they do a half hour keynote, but um, the two that she's had on since we've done it online um, have made it really intimate. So they're not like you would stand up high energy on a stage. They bring it right down and it's like they're talking just to you, which is lovely. So I found oh. that that worked really well. Yes. You might be able to approach it that way. That's a really good idea. I'm going to give that a go today when we do a bit of a tech trial. Yep. How are you finding networking online? It, well, it's different, isn't it? Mm. I've been more active in a couple of Facebook groups um, and a couple of those groups have jumped online for a Zoom chat just spontaneously. So I think that that's working really well. I think that, but I think some of the traditional groups aren't working as well that haven't been able to convert over. I think it's the ones that I'm in that have been more spontaneous and it's people, you know, the groups are more active because because we're all stuck at home. Yeah, you're right. I've, I've sort of had a couple of random Zoom virtual mm. coffees with people off LinkedIn as well. Mm-hmm. But they've been good. I mean, you know, I never would have done that probably before. Mm, no. So it's been, it's been good. Yep, yep. But on the flip side, there's other things that haven't converted over so well. And so I'm just not participating in those at the moment. Yeah, same. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, but I think we're coming out of it slowly. I think, you know, schools are slowly lifting their restrictions and, you know, doing one, two and three days back in. And I think workplaces are going to be doing the same soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm just worried that people are going to be gathering in shopping centres and stuff too early or that we just stop with the hand wipes and the the disinfectant and all that that sort of stuff a bit too mm. early. Mm. Um, I think that, yeah, it would be lovely to get back to a little bit more normality, but I just, I worry that we're, if we do it, people are just going to drop everything instead of easing back, you know? Yeah, you're right. And I think that's why a phased approach is probably going to be the best. Yeah. You know, they lift the restrictions and now they're doing, um, as you know, you know, one family to see another family mm. and bits and pieces. Yeah. I think that that's a nice transition, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So shall we jump in and listen to our guest today? Yes, that's what we're here for, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when we miss a week catch up. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, our listeners only generally hear us once a fortnight, but um, we often record a bit more haphazardly than that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so someone that's not too impacted I suppose isn't it because she does a lot of coaching on zoom before all this happened um regionally based like me I got in touch with Marie McPherson through the femme economy so if for those who haven't checked out the femme economy yet go and have a look at them because they're really fantastic at at networking and putting us in touch with great women So Marie has often found herself being the only woman in a room throughout her career and she's worked in female-dominated industries where the only men are in the executive roles and vice Mm. versa. So she knows how crucial diversity and leadership is. And while she's worked a lot in non-profit and statutory and community sectors, um, she's also got a lot of experience being a chief executive as well. So she's regionally based and she coaches. So let's have a listen. Marie, welcome to the podcast. 
Jackie, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's lovely to finally speak to you because it's probably been two years since the Femme Economy introduced me to you. Um, and I've been just following and getting a newsletter and seeing what you're doing. And like I said earlier, it's so nice to hear your voice. <laughs> oh, it's lovely to be here. And you're right, it seems like, uh, you know, in some respects, it seems like uh, we met each other eons ago and in other respects I can't quite believe that we're hearing each other's voices for the first time. <laughs> yeah it's so it's lovely um, but not many other people will know you yet um, so by way of introduction what did you want to be when you were growing up? Well, I think I had the typical teenage girl approach uh, for the 1980s or the late 70s, which was um, I had decided to be a teacher when I grew up. History and geography were going to be my two things. Uh, but in my HSC year, that took a very rapid twist and uh, I diverted into social welfare work and that was the very early part of my career. Yeah, okay, right. Still working with people. Yeah. So what has your career path looked like? What did you study and how's that wound its way through to where you are? Mm, well, interestingly, I'm not sure that I would call my career a path. <laughs> I, I think it's been more like a climbing wall. And I use that metaphor for a very particular reason in that whilst it hasn't been, you know, there hasn't been any kind of grand plan or um, dedicated space to, you know, moving through a series of processes in my career, really what I've done is taken time to step up at various times. Sometimes I've gone sideways to have a little look at what might be happening somewhere else. And occasionally I've taken a step back. What other people might assume is a step backwards, but has felt entirely right for me at that point in time. So if you like, I've been hopping all over the climbing wall and uh, having a bit of a look at uh, you know, where I might go and what seems to be suitable at that time. It's a really nice analogy. I like that, the climbing wall. <laughs> Nicer than a ladder too, because you've got much more creativity with a climbing wall, don't you? <laughs> Indeed. I think, um, you, you know, the ladder metaphor suggests that we can only go up or down. Mm. And what I find in talking to a lot of my coaching and mentoring clients is that they're pretty keen to do something else. It's not always upwards trajectory or backwards. Mm. Um, it's very much about, mm, I'd like to step over here for a bit and that's sideways. Or it might be slightly up but not as far as I'm, I'm you know, heading for. So I think it's about understanding that there's a lot of different options. Yeah, yeah. So you're now doing um, coaching, particularly mm. leadership. Mm -hmm. and particularly rural women. That's right. I, I'm the founder of the Grass Ceiling, um, which is my company. And essentially, I'm an executive coach and leadership coach and completely obsessed about creating fulfilling opportunities for women in regional Australia. And I think, you know how it can be so lonely in a leadership role. Mm. Um, there are things that I think women often find they can't share with anyone else. Well, they, they believe they can't and they can sometimes feel very alone. And I've been there. I've felt that on my own skin, having been in, in executive roles. 
And I know that at times we fall out of love with our work. And so what I do is create a safe space for exploration and growth so that, um, you know, we can move people from stuck to soaring and essentially, um, you know, help women thrive with that renewed sense of purpose and fall back in love with what they're doing. Because I think, you know, it's a bit like um, the question you asked me about the career path. What I know is that we've got a myriad of possibilities available to us. And I like to think of people's careers as a little bit like a hallway. Uh, and there's a lot of doors going off those that, that hallway. And what I want women to be able to do is open doors that they didn't even know existed mm. and have a look, step in, take a look, see, ah, okay, that isn't something I'm interested in. I'm closing that door. <laughs> but this one looks really interesting and I'm going to spend some time there. So yeah. that's, that's really what I, what I like to do with my clients. And, you know, I like to stretch them, not so hard that they'll break, but yeah. take them into that growth zone. Yeah. Um, another great analogy with the, the hallway I always feel like I'm, maybe I've stepped through one of those doors and closed it behind me and then not realised all the other possibilities that are available. And I suppose a lot of women might be like that too. They have invested so much in a particular pathway and maybe it's sunk cost and they feel like they're giving everything up if they're going to change. And let alone, as you said, who are you even going to talk to through this stuff? Mm. <laughs> so true, so true. Uh, I think we've all felt at times that, you know, we've closed off an option um, or, you know, we kind of pigeonholed ourselves. I'm this and that's all I can do or that's yep. the constraints in which I operate within. Yep. And going back to your question to me about career path, whilst I've predominantly worked in non-profit and statutory services, I've worked in many different industries. And perhaps now that I'm in my 50s looking back, it's interesting, I'm, I'm often in conversations with my um, coaching and mentoring clients about, you know, don't feel like that door behind you is closed. You can go back and you can go back out into the, the wider world and change direction. That might mean some sacrifices. It's not necessarily that you can leap straight to where you want to be, mm -hmm. but rediscovering particular passions or interests can be really powerful in, uh, you know, helping us find new places to go. Yeah. Do you find as well, particularly with rural women, that maybe we're even more reluctant to um, go back out into the hallway because the community knows us for a particular thing, like even the community has pigeonholed us? Not only have we done that to ourselves? That is such um, an insightful question. Yes. Uh, yes is the short answer. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think two things happen. I think we, we do that to ourselves very definitely. And there are parts of the communities in which we live that see us in particular ways. Mm. And so when I reflect on um, when I moved back to regional Victoria from having lived in Melbourne for a number of years, people remembered me in a particular way. And when I set up my own um, practice my own coaching business people didn't necessarily see that that was my next trajectory they expected me to stay in a sector that I'd been part of yeah. um, so whilst that that wasn't necessarily a negative but it was interesting 
it was interesting for me to look back and say, hmm, this has obviously been a surprise to some people. And I think uh, for, for many women that I work with, there is that nervousness about how, how will other people see me if I make this change? What will that mean? Mm. Yes. Tell us more about the glass, the glass ceiling, the grass ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jackie, it is, it, it is kind of a play on words, mm. but um, essentially it's the title of my book. So the book that I published in uh, late 2017, Cutting Through the Grass Ceiling, uh, and, and it's about um, women in regional Australia and their attitudes to being in the labour market, you know, dealing with some of these issues that we've been talking about already today and some stories of uh, some of my clients, um, you know, some of the things that they've worked on and the insights that they've had and a number of fabulous regional and rural women that I had the opportunity to interview as part of the, um, the, the writing of the book. Uh, so it, it's in three parts. And so the, the grass ceiling is, um, yes, it's the name of my company. Yes, it's the name of my book. And really it comes from that, that sense that we sometimes contain ourselves within a particular spectrum. You know, we, we fence ourselves in or we reach a, a point in regions where we may have worked in what we see as some of the most senior roles and we perceive that there's nowhere else to go. Mm. And I, that often translates to if I don't leave the region, if I don't go to the big smoke, I'm stuck. I've hit the ceiling and my boundaries are confined. And what I'm trying to do in, in the book and, and through my coaching and mentoring work is help women see that those boundaries aren't necessarily fixed and that taking off and going to the city, yes, is one option. And I will never tell people not to do that because I did it myself, <laughs> uh, but it is one option and there are multiple other options that people can so every now and then I get a guest on and I'm quite selfish about it because I um, start talking about some of the things that I want to talk about as well <laughs> and you're, you're definitely one of those people. Um, and look, I had my couple of years in Sydney having come from regional Victoria and, you know, you get the taste of it. So there's two things that I really want to pick out. Mm. Firstly, I almost think of the grass ceiling in my own context as almost a crossing over with imposter syndrome mm -hmm. um, because I feel for myself that I have gotten more and more and more and more highly educated and there's very few solicitors with my qualifications regionally, let alone in the city. And yet I still feel like I am spoken down to by my city colleagues. Um, I don't even know whether that's something that you, that you can talk to, but it's, there's so much worth tied up around it as well. Uh, yeah, well, what an interesting comment that you've made there. Uh, it's pretty loaded and we could spend hours talking about this. Look, I think, I think a couple of things occur to me and having felt those feelings myself, 
my question to myself was often, is this my own unconscious bias towards mm. me speaking? Or is this a real lived experience? Or is it a bit of both? Mm -hmm. So occasionally, I think we do meet people who make an assumption that because we are regional or rural, that somehow our experience is less valuable or perhaps more limited. Mm. And what I've always enjoyed is being able to help um, people see that the experience of being a big fish in a small pond can be incredibly valuable. It's, it's a powerful experience. It often means that we are amazing generalists. We get to turn our hands to so many different things. And I would imagine in the law, for instance, you get to be involved in uh, situations and cases and have clients that in a metropolitan area you might never have engaged with simply because of the diversity of work that, that would come through your door. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in the city, you'd be very defined and you'd be working with, you know, cohorts of clients or particular types of industries. Uh, so one of the things that I think is important for city-based um, people to understand for our sisters in, in the cities <laughs> is that um, being a generalist can expose you to the most incredible insights experiences you know it, it gives us such a rich place to to work from so some of it I think is our own imposter syndrome some of it is our own negative bias towards ourselves or an unconscious bias sometimes I think there are people who are misinformed about what it's like to work in a region mm. so I'm not sure that we need to go on a crusade of of uh, reinforming them. No. <laughs> some pe some people will never never want that. Uh, others are genuinely curious and open minded to to hear more of that story. Mm. I certainly think you're absolutely right in terms of the breadth of experience, particularly even as a young practitioner. And uh, my young solicitors um, certainly work directly with clients a lot earlier. They're problem solving for themselves and they're getting a huge breadth of experience that I know that lawyers at their same level would still just be preparing coffee and filing emails so there's a lot to be said there but then I think that sometimes you get these ambitious junior lawyers and they're with us for a couple of years and then they think that the next step has to be the big lights of the city as well whether they think that there's more prestige or um, maybe sometimes it's just that they have to try it and see that in fact it's so much better working in the regions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I think I think it's a little bit like the um, the argument that we hear so often in regional areas about young people leaving mm. to go to the big smoke. You know, they want to go to university in the city. They want to have a life in the city. And quite often we hear people bemoaning that fact. Mm. My view is always that it's great to encourage people to do what they need to do to explore their own horizons. So I think it's wonderful when young people leave regional cities or rural areas in order to have a city-based experience. I think it's fantastic and we should encourage it. What we also need to be able to do is create an environment where they always feel welcome to come back, whether, whether it's coming back to where they grew up mm -hmm. or whether it's going back to another regional area 
And what we notice is that quite often people in their late 20s, early 30s will then go back to a region mm. to uh, raise their children or, you know, have a, a sea change or a tree change. They've, they've realised, actually, I can park where I want to park. I can walk to work and be surrounded by trees. Uh, I can get to places that I want to be on weekends really easily. Uh, mm. Family and friends. I can still have a city fix whenever I want to. Mm. I can buy a house at a really good price. <laughs> you know, I may, I may in fact own a home in my lifetime. There's a whole lot of things that I hear young professionals talking about now that have really changed the way in which we view regional Australia and regional cities in particular. So I think it's important that we do encourage people to have that experience and mm. to take that view rather than fight it. Because I do think it's natural. It's a bit like Australians live on an island. We really like going overseas. <laughs> <laughs> there is something about us that's within our DNA of, of going elsewhere and exploring the big mm. picture. Um, but, gee, it's good to come home as well. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree having done exactly that. And I wish that more <laughs> would come back in their late 20s and 30s. And again, I mean, this might go back to the grass ceiling as well, because they think that there's maybe there's not something interesting enough for them in the regions, mm -hmm. or they think that they're um, going backwards, or they're settling, or um, sometimes it is money. They, well, because quite often you can't get paid the amount that you get paid mm -hmm. in the city. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of other benefits other than money, aren't there? Yes, there's so many more benefits. And I guess, you know, health and well-being can be part of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think it's also there's a perspective that um, stepping back into a region might mean um, potentially failure. I wonder if it's part of that imposter syndrome or um, unconscious bias towards ourselves that if I that if I go back, am I somehow announcing to the world that I didn't make it in the big smoke? Mm. And you know, I think it takes us a long time to mature beyond that perspective. And I do wonder how much of that we hang on to. And I, I think it is very much unconscious. There's there's you know. We often talk about things like uh, money, career opportunities, I'll be limited, you know, there'll be small town politics. We can come up with a long list of things that might be in the way. I wonder if really deep down for some people it's that sense of uh, am I failing if I go back? And whatever we can do to change that perception and celebrate that decision, mm. uh, I think is, is really about, you know, this is an empowered decision and I've made a choice. And for those people who never choose to leave, we also need to celebrate them because, yes. uh, you know, they're making a different choice and a different commitment. And let's honour that as well because, mm. you know, we're all making up this wonderful, rich fabric of the society in which we live. Yep. Very diverse communities that we have sometimes mm. too, which is lovely. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think the grass ceiling exists for men and women or women more than men or vice versa? Mm, good question. I suspect it does exist for some men. Uh, I think probably as women, we experience it much more powerfully. Mm. Uh, 
Traditionally, a lot of the senior executive roles in regions belonged to men. That's no different outside of regional Australia. It's exactly the same in the cities. Uh, I think perhaps we have taken a little bit um, longer. You know, uh, the, the city-based city women have perhaps had more opportunity because there have been more roles available to them. Yeah. And in regions, there'll be less of those senior jobs, mm. particularly as you think about um, restructures that have, have happened in industries uh, where, for instance, um, major utilities and the finance sector spent quite a lot of time in the 80s closing down branches and, mm. and uh, regional head offices. And we're seeing some of that come back now. Um, in, in more recent years. The other interesting thing is the number of female entrepreneurs in regional and rural areas. And, you know, you're one of them. Uh, there's a growing number of, of women who have said, well, if I can't achieve a senior executive role in the time frame that I want or the kind of role that I really desire of my choosing, uh, then maybe I can do something myself. Mm. And it's it's interesting how many women I coach and mentor who have been exploring the possibility of of doing their own thing, setting up on their own, whether that be consulting, whether that be in some other kind of role that they've trained for. Uh, it's it's something that is much more on the horizon, and that's that's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, that excites me as well. It just makes me think how resourceful we are. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, so, thank you for letting me pick your brain. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing everything that you know, what would you tell your 21-year-old self? Oh, gosh, these questions are so tough. 21 seems so long ago now. I think what I would tell myself is hasten slowly. There's mm. some time. I think at 21, I was in such a rush to do everything. You know, I'd, I'd enrolled in my second degree by that point. I'd only just got a job, but I'd gone back and enrolled in my second degree. I, you know, I was in a race to do everything I possibly could. And mm. at that point, I was so hungry. And I'm not sorry about that because it, it did enable me to do a whole lot of things early, a mm. bit like your you know some of the stuff that you talked about mm. you know, I wasn't just making coffee I was able to to get involved in some really meaty stuff quite early uh, I think my advice would be though there is time to do all of that don't panic make sure that you get an opportunity to process what you're exposed to and to do some thinking that's going to serve you well in the future I think that would be my advice yeah, yeah, that's great. You're right. So many people in their 20s are in such a rush. Um, I've mm. got a 24-year-old who I accidentally called 25 the other day and she was horrified because she has a whole <laughs> <laughs> so much to do before she gets to 25. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That, that just gave me palpitations because I think I can remember feeling like that. You know, that'll be a quarter mm. of a century. <laughs> yes. I, I need to have done all these things by then. <laughs> yes. She keeps saying she's going to have a quarter century midlife, you know, quarter century crisis, like a midlife crisis. <laughs> oh, bless her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas I look back and go, ah, oh, there's no way I'd want to be that age again. <laughs> 
So along those lines, having the heart palpitations and, and whatnot, <laughs> what do you do to check in with yourself to make sure that you're okay? Do you have some daily rituals or even something that you do more regularly or, or less regularly to, to look after yourself? Yeah, great question. The thing that uh, really sustains me is looking after my sleep and my nutrition and my exercise. So they would be my three mantras, you know, get good sleep, <laughs> eat, eat well and healthily, you know, more vegetables than anything else. But, you know, I, I'm certainly not vegetarian or vegan, but, I, you know, I grow my own food. I'm really clear about where, where it comes from. And I think that's one of the huge benefits of living in the regional areas is that we get space to grow our food and we get wonderful farmers markets and we live in amongst amazing produce. So there's a huge plus for yes. where we live. Uh, so sleep, nutrition, exercise, get out there and, and do what you need to do to look after yourself. And uh, taking five minutes on a regular basis for some mindfulness. So in between meetings, in between client sessions, taking some time to practice my breathing, you know, getting myself ready for whatever is coming next. Uh, that's definitely a daily check-in. And I think never underestimate the power of a great Labrador. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's great. I have Kelpies. <laughs> I've, I've seen pictures of your kelpies on your social media feeds and they're pretty amazing mm, very cuddly but yes <laughs> they, they bring you so much joy mm -hmm, they do yeah look those are three really cornerstone things and I think being regionally based we're probably ahead in almost all three because the sleep you know without the street lights and without the constant traffic noise I think that we get the deeper dark sleep as well and without kind of you know four hours of commuting every day oh, um, that's right. that's the other thing you know we get so much of our lives back that's yep. one thing I don't miss about my life in the city yes yes I don't miss traffic lights I still have been able to get to and from all of my offices without a single traffic light so I'm very pleased well, about that and as you say, we have more time in the mornings and the evenings without that commute so that we can exercise. And I suppose a lot of our community revolves around the community sport as well, which is, um, it just brings you into where you live even more so. Mm, absolutely. And being engaged with, you know, neighbourhoods and all sorts of wonderful activities. Really, yeah, I, I feel like I absolutely make the most of where I live. It's wonderful. Yes, we're going to convince everyone to move regionally and then we'll have to leave again so that <laughs> if everyone comes out. But a, a warning for anyone who wants to move regionally, you'll end up on a couple of committees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So look, Marie, thank you so much for your time. As I said, half an hour always flies. Is there anywhere you want to direct our listeners or where you'd like them con to connect with you? Mm, absolutely. I think the first place for people to start if they want to know more about how I work and what I do would be to go to my website, which is really simple. It's marinemcpherson.com.au. <laughs> and through that website, uh, you'll be able to 
subscribe to my blog, my fortnightly leadership and uh, personal reflection blog. Uh, you'll be able to purchase a copy of my book, either in good old fashioned hard copy or for e-readers. And you can also book a discovery call with, if, if that's of interest. If there's something that you'd like to talk about or you know, want to want to know more about my services, we can make that happen as well. That's fantastic because, of course, you do mentor people that aren't regionally based as well because uh, we mm -hmm. have the beauty of still having the NBN in the country too. <laughs> Absolutely. I do so much of my work by video. Uh, you know, it's, it's actually, there's never been a better time to be based regionally given the fact that we have great access to technology. Yes, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Marie. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Jackie, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. So what did you think of Marie? Yeah, um, loved Marie, but like I love all of our guests. Um, I know. Everyone's your favourite. <laughs> everyone, everyone's so good. <laughs> but look, you know, when I listen to them first off, like it's that whole presence right that someone has yeah. and listening to to Marie's interview there was just this like I said to you before we hit the record this calm authoritative voice and it's very reassuring isn't it like very just what you need in a coach you know or a leader yeah 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 that's right yeah in a leader and a coach absolutely yeah and I loved how she started off with you know, with that corridors analogy around yeah. the career. Yes. When you asked her that question of what she wanted to be. Yeah. She had a great couple of analogies, didn't she? Because she also spoke about the climbing wall. In climbing wall, yeah. It's all over the place and you can go up and down and you can go the hard way or find another way or whatever. Yeah. Did you not think of Spider-Man when she said those words? I didn't actually. I did I straight away. I the on the wall though. <laughs> Straight away, I had this image of um, Spider-Man popped up in my head. Yeah, look, I think that whole corridor thing is just so true. I think sometimes, you know, if we do go down a path and or a corridor and that door then closes for whatever reason, mm. I think the first thing we look at is, you know, why, what are the failures, all that sort of stuff as opposed to going, you know what, that's okay, it closed and now we need to go somewhere else and try something new. Yes. Well, you're one who's reinvented yourself a couple of times and you've changed careers, whereas I yeah. have. So how, yeah. um, how did you make the jump? Like it's a huge step to go, I've invested so much in this path already and then have a sideward step. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that actually because it's one of the things I thought of listening to that interview and then I missed mm. the next 10 minutes because I sort of was distracted in my own thoughts and had to rewind <laughs> um, and re-listen to it. But I thought exactly the same thing of, you know, moving from London to, to Sydney, working as a lawyer for a while and then literally waking up one day and it was, I'm no joke, woke up one day and go, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And I think the answer to that really depends on the reason you shift yeah and you know one of the big reasons I shifted was pretty much racism and sexism in the law at that mm. time and it was really a horrible place to be to the point that it just really gave me a sour taste of what practicing law was yeah um the way we were treated um the way that we were sometimes invisible because of how I look and I thought you know what this is not what I've studied for this is not what I've done all of my training for to be treated like I'm not even even visible so I think in my head that gave me a valid reason to quit. Yeah. And then after quitting, you go through the stages like you would, I think, when you end a, end a relationship because it's that anger. Mm. It's, you know, it's that grief. It's that regret of, um, you know, I should have 
pushed it through I should have just carried on but I ended up just really really not wanting to be in law because of the experience that I thought I'll just find whatever I can to to get out of this wow yeah so it was more about the industry that's for sure than the the actual practice yeah absolutely yeah Absolutely. And it's a little bit like what you were saying yesterday, you know, you said it in your interview that, you know, how, how you were feeling sometimes around, you know, you've studied, you've done all of this, yet you're not treated the same. It's never enough. And that's exactly how I felt. I was like, you know what, I don't look like the person next to me, but I've studied just as much as you have. Yes. Um, I've done everything you've done. So why am I, why am I overlooked for certain things? Why am I treated differently? And in fact, you've probably got a far more diverse experience to bring more to it. Yeah, but you know what? It can really knock your confidence. It, yeah. it really can. And then you end up not performing well because your confidence is so low. Well. Yeah, yeah. Which is... And then I had then I had a really bad experience with, uh, with HR, which is what sort of led me into that space. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I sort of went into HR going, you know what? This is how I want people to you can make be a treated make mm. a difference and mm-hmm. listen to people and not just be a HR department that's transactional. Yep. Yeah. Mm. I've got a woman who does a bit of part-time work for me who has been, you know, in legal recruitment for 20 years. And she talks about, cause she's had a tree change, but while she was working in Collins street in Melbourne about just moving unhappy lawyers around from one bad spot to hopefully a little bit of a better spot. And she says she's made a career out of not solving the problems, but just moving them. Wow. Um, oh, my so God. It's quite insightful for, for, to hear that from her because um, I suppose it's a level of why, you know, a lack of fulfilment because, and she's now thinking, well, she wants to give back a bit more because she wasn't solving problems. Now mm. she wants to. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, imagine if someone did, like a lawyer did just speak up about how bad it can be, Yeah, you know, how much support they would get and how many other people would come forward. I think, I honestly believe we don't talk about it enough. I never spoke about mine for whatever reason, you know, I think we just go, we don't want to look like victims. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've spoken before as well about being physically assaulted in a workplace and, Mm, you know, I've had an article written on it and yeah, it makes an impact for like two seconds. And then, you know, there's all this other news or stuff that fills the void. And so it's almost like, well, why bother talking about it or putting yourself out there and being vulnerable when actually it's just going, you just want a drop in the ocean and it's not really going to impact anyone. (laughs) That's how I feel. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Mm. Totally agree. And that's why I think, you know, having that group of people that will regularly talk about it and keep pushing and keep fighting, it's like the whole, you know, the diversity and inclusion stuff, you know, we talk Mm. about it all the time Mm -hmm. um, because we have to for it to make an impact and stick. Yes. It's like we can't just talk about diversity once a blue moon. (laughs) Um, You know, we have to talk about it all the time. Actually, I read a post just quickly on that the other day, which I found fascinating on LinkedIn. Yep. And there was a guy, he runs his own diversity and equity consulting business. Mm. And he just put a post around diversity and equity. And he got bashed on LinkedIn by a number of people for talking about this topic during COVID and people saying, you know, it's not appropriate. And there's other things that people are worried about, not just this right uh. now. And, and this is a guy, you know, like it wasn't, you know, even like normally women get bashed a lot more than men, but yeah, he did. And he wrote and he wrote 
a post about it the day after he got bashed and said, this is important no matter what. Yeah. So it just shows, you know, we've got to keep bringing these topics to the forefront all the time. Yeah, yeah. Because for those who are um, working from home, potentially it could be worse. I mean, they're getting a break from the face-to-face of it. But on the flip side, they don't have their supportive colleagues with them. And also they could be being loaded up in secret or have passive aggressive messages or who knows, like it, it doesn't stop, does it? No, no, mm. no. So do you talk about yours? I know you mentioned it in, in the interview, you know, with around how, how you feel about being treated differently. Do you mm-hmm. get to talk about it often enough to, to raise it up? No. I mean, mm. what platform would can you talk about it where there would be an impact? <laughs> you know, I, th- I think if you think about it, like LinkedIn, the amount of mm. people on there. Remember you did that post uh, where you were quite vulnerable about a month ago? Yeah, yep. That got good traction, right? Yeah, it did, it did. Mm. I've actually just written another one called Have You Lost Your Humanity? But I haven't put it on LinkedIn because, um, you know, it's too vulnerable. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. But I think that's that platform because, you know, that's where, you know, it cuts through the noise. Like mm. That. Mm. people do want to read you know the real stories behind people mm. yeah I think turning returning back to Marie a little bit as well that she spoke about women feeling alone um, and particularly as we get higher in our career feeling more and more alone um, and not having a safe place to share and so this is almost exactly that isn't it mm. yes yeah yeah absolutely um, and she also talked about falling out of love with work which I mean, your experience was not that. It was more the industry itself because mm. the work, if you had a good workplace, you probably would, I would have, have stayed. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, when, when things like that happen, and I'm talking about when you just, yeah, when you fall out of love with the work. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've experienced that with, with coaching clients and yeah. not from a career coaching perspective but just general holistic perspective and Mm. people actually feel really bad about it and uh, it goes back to that door and the corridor analogy it's 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 fine like you know it's okay to pivot it's okay to change Mm. um and like you said earlier I think it impacts you in a positive way because you get diverse experience like when you just read you know uh the bio for for Marie it's Mm. about her vast experience you know that the fact that she's got CEO experience leadership coach you know working with rural people. So yeah. I think the more more experience you get, more all-rounded you are. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that certainly when I'm feeling like I don't want to work with a particular client anymore, it's often because they're not doing their part. Mm. I feel like I'm carrying it all rather than them, you know, because in a legal matter, it is their matter. It's not my matter. Um, I'm just facilitating you know whatever the litigation or the the negotiation for an agreement but if they're not driving it and wanting it to happen or collating their evidence or doing their own homework and it's all me I feel like it's that's when I fall out of fall out of love with the work because I'm like well what's the point (laughs) yeah 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 I agree I think that's similar for me when I'm coaching people you know you can use the same coaching analogy and techniques on two different people but the one that takes action is going to get totally different results to the ones that don't take the action and then want to give up because they're not seeing their results yeah yeah and you you want to work with the person who takes action because you're seeing results and they're excited and you're excited absolutely absolutely I'm gonna have to practice what I preach because I've just uh 
joined that starts tomorrow morning a hundred day coaching program oh okay um that's meant to be run face to face with this guy in the states and uh, he's he's doing it online but part of that he's doing three hour sessions in blocks like eight of them face to face and because of the time zone it starts at three in the morning tomorrow wow. <laughs> and I'm like oh my god but there's but I've got that drive and that commitment to see the hundred days through at the moment um mm. to because it's stuff that you know it's going to help me in my business I'm going to work on my business so I guess it goes back to your motivation doesn't it and I think from a you know with your client's point of view I think you are going to get some people that are dealing with something like I said to you with with a, with a bit of help I needed if you remember that I don't want to deal with it Yes. So I think it also depends on what the matter is. Yeah. Because some people will want to just go, I can't touch this. I can't do it. It's too, I'm too close to it. Yeah. 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 And I understand that. But I suppose the difference is, is that yours would not necessarily be an ongoing matter. It's just, here's all the stuff, just put it together. Yes. Yes. Whereas you get the people who you can't even get the stuff out of. And then mm. you're forever chasing, 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 and there's looming court dates and you're panicking and they don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I suppose that's, that's the integrity in, in your work if you care and yeah, anyway. <laughs> mm. Mm. What about the grass ceiling? That's another good analogy, isn't it? Yeah, it makes it sound very warm isn't it <laughs> when you say it like that like it, it sounds like oh, okay you know it's 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 not as scary and not as confronting yeah perhaps um maybe it's also not as solid um like you say yeah. it's and cold like glass yes yeah but I never thought of it that way and I think the grass ceiling also applies to both genders rather than the glass ceiling for for women, women. You're, you're true yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and it's it's the whole I think you know like with her analogies like we're saying it, it's reframing it to give you a different perspective of the same problem mm-hmm. how can I explain it almost like it takes the edge off doesn't it it's like yes it's still there but how do we reframe it so that it doesn't you know we don't have our biases because it's got a certain phrase associated with it or a word associated with the actual issue yeah Exactly. And you hit on the word again with the biases. And they're trigger words, aren't they? Like it triggers certain things in you when you hear those words. Yeah. Um, But then to call it and reframe it per se. um, Yeah. Like I said, Spider-Man came in my head, you know, so, (laughs) you know, different things come up for different people with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was talking about imposter syndrome in terms of um, the grass ceiling as well. And I think that, you know, a lot of the biases are in our own heads as well as other people's, or maybe we're more sensitive and we think that it's a bigger issue than other people actually think it is. Um, so it's all a very complex, what psychology really, isn't it? What, how we think ourselves. And I think, and I think with imposter syndrome in, in my experience with, with coaching, it's been, um, it's not something you fix no. forever. Mm. I think it's something that's going to come and go mm. as you evolve as well. Yes. It probably arises more when you're doing something the first couple of times and once, so it's a bit of a confidence thing as well. So the imposter syndrome um, will eventually get a little bit less when you're accepted, I suppose, or you've done something a few times, or at least that seems to be in my experience. And then when I am exposed to a different group of people for the first time you might again have it for a bit but then realize that no it's all it's all still okay yeah it's funny what can trigger it I actually had a conversation last night with a fellow coach in the UK 
Mm. And, um, you know, he's an experienced coach. He's got 25 years of experience. Mm. And we were talking about the use of LinkedIn. And he said something similar. He goes, I'm really feeling this imposter syndrome at the moment. I'm like, for what reason? Mm. And he said, oh, because I've been posting on LinkedIn because I've been doing everything the right way as per all of the strategies that we're taught. Mm. And he said, he goes, I'm just getting no engagement. Mm. And he goes, you know, I've seen other people who've got not a lot to say and they're getting awesome and they, you know, awesome engagement. And he yeah. goes, I just don't get what's going on. He goes, you know, maybe I'm not a, not a good coach and... Oh. And all of that stuff started to come in all because of one point of view that he had in his head, which was he wasn't getting the right engagement. So it's funny what can trigger the imposter syndrome as well. Sometimes it's not this big thing that we always think it is. Yes. It could be something really small, depending on how we're feeling that day that can trigger it. Yeah. And that's the comparison issue as well. Like he was comparing himself yeah. to others, but I get that too, because sometimes you see some really mediocre people with you know, really not much going on and you're like what the hell like what do people see there yeah exactly right and it's and I've yeah. seen it on LinkedIn as well like I genuinely had yeah he he was right like there's people that post mm. average content or something that you go yeah okay and through the roof you know in terms of mm. uh, visibility of that post so mm-hmm. yeah like I said I think it's definitely the small things that can that can trigger it like it's definitely not just this big no. one event that triggers the imposter syndrome mm. yeah yeah so there you go Marie Marie. Lovely, Marie lovely chat and realistically like I said I think about the middle of the interview it was a little bit selfish of me as well I like the ones where <laughs> got a yeah. little personal get something personal out of the conversation it's good absolutely Mm -hmm. no she's great Mm -hmm. so moving forward what do you got what you what are your plans what are you up to well you've got your 100 days of coaching haven't you (laughs) I've got my 100 days of coaching starting um and I've got uh two keynotes this month so great a little bit of prep around around that and just yeah yeah giving it a go right just good seeing how it works and putting myself out there with it your course development all done in terms of the content now it's a case of um, once the restrictions have lifted to get into a studio to get them recorded okay Mm. very good so almost there (laughs) Mm -hmm. what about you how's your week do you think you need to go into a studio to record it here I am going to push you (laughs) yes I think just with the feel I want for the videos okay um it's not something I'm going to be able to achieve on my own okay that's fair and I think, you know, because there's only, it's only a six week course, so it will be, there's not that many videos either. Yeah. So I think I just want it to look a certain way mm. and have a feel to it. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Worth the investment then. I'll let you off. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. What am I up to? Um, well, work's pretty much the same for me, except that a lot of us are sort of working from home um, where we can. Still, I'm enjoying Future Women. So it's a it's a group that I've joined recently because they do a lot of they're doing a lot of online Facebook lives and interviews and things. Um, so I think that that's my new thing at the moment. Future Women. It's a good one. It's it's more along the lines of a current affairs than than business. Mm-hmm. But, um, I'm interested in that at the moment, so I'll stick at it for a bit. Awesome. Mm. That's great. And how's your, um, I know I ask you every fortnight, but your marketing stuff going? Because I know you're, you're doing a fair bit of work on that. 
Yeah. So we've got a big campaign at the moment because I've just brought on a new accredited specialist. So we've got two in our firm now, which is quite unique. Um, So Mm. we've got this big campaign going out um, and I'm halfway through sending them all out. I bought a whole lot of um, little packets of hand wipes because you can't get them anywhere at the moment. Um, And I had them branded. So they're, they're, they look lovely. <laughs> so I'm sending them all out oh, to all the new professionals. I listed a hundred professionals around the area that I wanted to try and create relationships with. So I've sent out a flyer introducing sort of our new specialist and our firm to new people with this little gimmick of the hand sanitizer, the wipes. So we'll see how that goes. And there's a special website that I set up to make referrals easier for people. So on our site, I've set up a special page that if people don't want to contact us to send their clients' details to us, they can just quickly go to that page and enter the details and it's done. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah, a couple of steps forward. Well done. Mm. Well good. Yeah, it's um that the book that I've been relying on for ideas is called The Referral Engine. It's quite good. Check it out. Mm-hmm. I will check it out. All right. Well, thanks again for chatting. Thank you. <laughs> As always, it flies in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we'll catch everyone next episode. Oh, we should say Absolutely. where to find us, shouldn't we? Where we are. I think they know us, but we should, yes. <laughs> um, so iqmeetseq.com.au is where you find all our episodes. And please comment. We'd love comments, questions or suggestions. Um, where can they find you, Ush, to have a chat? Yep, I'm at ushdanik.com. Brilliant. And, of course, LinkedIn. And I am jackiebroman.com or tbalaw.com.au. So there we go. (laughs) Excellent. Okay. Catch you next time. Catch you later.